Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I want to welcome you to week two of our Christmas series And our Christmas series is called The Christmas Playlist. The Christmas Playlist. Pastor John kicked it off last week with Joy to the World and our International Christmas Celebration, which was amazing. And uh, this week, I am preaching to you, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, Pastor John is preaching this morning. He's in Louisiana. He sends his love and his greetings to you. He will be back this evening, back home, which will be great. Um, and if you're joining us here in the room, we're so glad you're here. You push through the rain, and it's cozy in here. It's nice and warm. It's going to be an amazing, amazing morning. It's been beautiful all, all day. I just I love being here with all of you. If you're joining us online, well, we're glad you're here today as well, joining us in our worship while you are enjoying your living room or your bedroom or wherever you are today. <laughs> You know, Christmas carols are just such a fun part of the traditions around Christmas. And uh, I can remember when I was a kid, we had, we were definitely like a Christmas family. We did a lot of caroling. My dad played the piano, and um, he still plays the piano a little bit. And we would gather around the piano, and we'd have you know, the Christmas tree up and all the lights, and Dad would pull out these old dog-eared, yellowed sheet music that had the Christmas carols on it, and we'd sing these songs with all these old, unfamiliar words. Some of them were just silly and fun, but some of them were just incredibly powerful, profound songs of, of faith and promise and hope and joy. And, you know, we still do that. You know, I I learned how to play the piano, too, in case you don't know. I play a little bit. And so then I'd be the one who was around the piano playing. And then I got married when I married John. He's, um, he likes to sing and carol, too, but he for sure does not know any of the words at all. (laughs) So he just makes them up. I'll make up whatever whatever lines are going to come along with it. And um, so when we were early on in, in our marriage, I was like, babe, you've got to get this right. These are like important songs. This is important things. This is the right lines. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure this is what it is. I'm like, no, that's definitely a line from Oh Danny Boy. That is not a Christmas carol. <laughs> but he's got it in there. It's locked in there. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. We put on Christmas carols in the car, and you hear it everywhere you go these days. <clears throat> there's carols happening all around. You know, carols have been with us a long time. They, anyone know those old carols, really old ones, like Good King Wenceslas? Anyone heard of that carol? A couple of you? Not many. It's an old one. Or uh, Good Christian Men Rejoice. Anyone sing that one? Yeah, a couple of you guys. These are like very old British carols. And some of these date back to the medieval era. I mean, we're talking these are a thousand-year-old songs that are still being sung today, which is just amazing to me. Like, what other songs do you know that are a thousand years old that are still being sung today? It's incredible. And, you know, even though we live in a largely secular society and 
most Christmas things are not about Jesus these days when you go into the malls, when you go into restaurants, when you go out into the world. But there's still that Christian heritage that's part of our society that comes through when you're shopping at Nordstrom and you hear joy to the world come on over the loudspeaker, proclaiming the gospel in the most unlikely environment. And I mean, I get overwhelmed with that. The lyrics of those songs are just so full of Jesus and so full of truth in, in these moments. Man, it just gets me like choked up in the mall. I'm like, what am I? I'm like going to church in the mall right now. And that's, that's what Christmas carols can do. It's really is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And so today's sermon is named after the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we just sang together in such a lovely way. And uh, Hark the Herald Angels is not the name of a boy band from the 90s. That's not what that is. There's some old words in there. It's uh, written in the early 1700s by a man named Charles Wesley. Charles and his brother John Wesley founded Methodism way back in the day there. Methodism is um, the movement, the Methodist church movement. I'm sure most of you guys have heard that. And we stand on the shoulders of the, Meth the Methodist movement as Pentecostals today. And so we have, uh, this song is actually kind of important part of our heritage here today. But that word hark, hark, not harm or harsh, hark. It means listen, listen up. And a herald is an official messenger with official news to bring. Something's about to happen, something imminent. So if we were to retitle this carol using brand new English and not old English, <coughs> it might say something like, listen up, the angels are singing an important message for us. Can you put those lyrics back on the screen for us from the first verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing? <coughs> Would you all just read these words with me again? Hark the herald angels sing. Read it out loud. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Man, this beautiful song is describing the passage that we find in Luke chapter 2. And we started in this chapter last week. We're going to continue in this chapter next week. Um, but that story is a very familiar one to all of you. It was a very young woman whose name was Mary. She was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. They were just living their life. And all of a sudden, an angel appeared to Mary and to Joseph and said, Hey, you're about to have a baby and this baby is going to be the most high. And she said, oh, how is this? How is that possible? I've never been with a man. I'm not married. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And the baby that will be born is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he is going to save everybody from their sins. And in this incredible promise that he gave to Joseph and Mary, they said, okay, let it be. According to your word, they were obedient to that. Mary became pregnant, sure enough. And uh, they, were, they were married. And then it, during that time, while Mary was very pregnant, she got called, she and Joseph got called in a census by the government, the local government, to come back to the town of their family's origin and be counted, to register, say, this is who we are. And so they did that. They went to the town of Bethlehem, where Joseph's family was from. And when they got there, they discovered, oh, my goodness, this town is packed 
It is packed, packed. There's people everywhere, people coming out of the walls. There's no place to stay. And so they wind up finding some space in a barn, in a stable, in a place where the animals lived. And in that place, of course, Mary goes into labor. And Jesus is born in the middle of the night in Bethlehem, in a stable, a long time ago. So this is where we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Would you mind standing? And we're going to read this together out loud. We're going to read verse 8 through 14. If you can put this, yep, it's right there on the screens. Let's read this together. That night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of the heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just recognize your presence in this place. Father, you've been so faithful to meet us, to touch us with your spirit today. And Lord God, we just invite you right now to speak to our hearts, speak to the deepest places in us. God, let your word penetrate. Our heart is open. Our mind is attentive. And we invite you to change us, to transform us. Make us somebody brand new as we hear your word today. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. The church said? Amen. 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 You can have a seat. I don't know if you've ever been in the room when somebody really famous and really important came in, you guys live in D.C., in this area, so there's a good chance that some of you have. Some of you probably rub shoulders with some pretty important people over the years living in this region. Uh, but this happened to me a couple, a couple years ago. Man, there's such like an anticipation. There's like an energy that happens when you know somebody's coming. Somebody's coming that's important. This happened a couple years ago for me back in 2004, you guys may remember, there was a film that got released called The Passion of the Christ. And it was a big deal at the time in the church world. It told the story of Jesus' passion, obviously. And it starred a man named Jim Caviezel, who was an actor at the time. It had this huge publicity run. And so our church, it was a large church in the suburbs of Chicago where, where I was at the time. And so Jim Caviezel came to our church in the middle of that big publicity run to visit, to promote the film Passion of the Christ. And man, before he came, we had these like waves of security that came through. It was like the president was coming and you know, there were all kinds of roped off security. There was people everywhere trying to get in to see him. They were trying to get into that room where he was. And it was just absolutely bananas, this huge fanfare of an entry. <clears throat> I wanted to tell everybody, hey, just so you know, everyone who's trying to get into this room where he's, he's resting before him, this is not actually the real Jesus. This is the fake Jesus. It's just a guy named Jim, same as your Uncle Jim. He's just a guy. 
But this is what happened. But you know what? When the real Jesus came, he didn't have any of that. There was no PR. There was no red carpet. There was no roped velvet ropes. There was no fanfare of crowds trying to get in and see him. I can only imagine that night. It just must have been very isolated. Here you've got this couple just been through a fairly traumatic thing, having, having a baby far away from home in a barn where it's dirty, it's smelly. Only place there is to lay him is in this feeding trough, just there, just kind of trying, trying to recover from this moment. And it's almost like the angels in heaven must have been like, this is insane. Does nobody understand? Does nobody on this little planet understand what's just happened? Where God himself has just come to earth. It's like they couldn't let it just go. And so all of a sudden, they're like, we got to find somebody. We got to make sure somebody knows what's going on. <clears throat> this incredible moment. Like it's the middle of the night. Who's awake? Who's on third shift right now? <laughs> and so Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So we've got two groups of people we're going to look at today in this passage. We've got angels, and we have shepherds. So why did the angels go to the shepherds? I think about this from time to time. You know, he could have gone to the palace. He could have gone to wake up the king. This angel could have gone to the priests in the temple and said, hey, the moment has come. He could have gone to the leaders in the community, but instead they go out into the field and find the shepherds. You know, these are common, poor, they're laborers. They're barely blue collar. They're like the bottom of the bottom. And they're like the security guard who's working the late shift, like the worst possible shift. You know, a lot of times these were young people working their first job. Some of them were teenagers. Some even may have been children who were shepherds out in this field. It's like working at McDonald's, your first job. It's a hard life. Out in the cold, out in the dirt, protecting animals. And you know what? The shepherds were considered unclean. That means they couldn't participate in all the rituals of food preparation. It was all these things that came into being pure before God that qualified you to come near the temple to participate in God's presence in the world. There were all these rules. And the shepherds, because of the nature of their work, they were right on the outside of all that. They never could come in. So they facilitated this for other people. They cared for lambs that would come in and be sacrificed. You know where Bethlehem is, is right in the outskirts of Jerusalem. So they were in the hills outside Jerusalem there. So it's a good chance that those very lambs that they were caring for were taken, were purchased and taken by people into the temple as sacrifices to God. But those were things that they themselves were not actually allowed to participate in because they were unclean. And you know what? Now, the Lamb of God has been born. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world forever. And the shepherds are invited. The angels are like, come and bear witness. Because a new Lamb has been born. And this Lamb is going to take away the sins of all people for all time. This is the last Lamb that will ever be needed. And, and the shepherds are invited to come and care for him. 
<coughs> this message to the angels, the message the angels had for the shepherd, the first thing he said is, do not be afraid. You know, most scholars think that that angel is not named, but that angel was probably the angel Gabriel again. And it's kind of funny to me. Every time you see the angel Gabriel come in and have a conversation with anybody in scripture, that's usually the first thing he says is something along the lines of, don't be terrified, don't be afraid. <laughs> I mean, I think about like, what does he have to look like for that to be the opening line of literally every single conversation you have? Like, how bad does that gotta be? That's pretty rough. But that's what he says. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then all of a sudden the vibe shifts dramatically. These shepherds were terrified. I mean, it's like, oh gosh, what is this thing that we're gonna have to protect our sheep against? But it becomes clear all of a sudden, this angel is not a threat to the flock. When the angel says, I bring you good news, it translates the Greek word euangelizo, which means, we translate this in other parts of the Bible, to preach the good news. That noun, evangelon, is translated by the word gospel, to preach the gospel. I bring you good news. I preach the gospel to you. This is good news of great joy. And he says this news is for all people. It's not just the Jews anymore. But something is about to happen that's going to change everything for all time. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. This moment that they have been hearing about for all of their lives, generations and generations have been waiting for the Messiah to come. And all of a sudden the angels are saying, hey, pay attention. There is something that's happening right now in this moment. Now everything is all of a sudden completely different. In the town of David, a royal heir has been born. And this is where they're going to be looking for the Messiah to come because God made a covenant with the line of David and said, this, whenever you see the line of David ruling, that means that my favor, that my hand is on these people. So Jesus becomes the representation of the line of David, the long-awaited Messiah, the deliverer who is going to come. The Lord of heaven has been born into David's line. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angels are heralds. They're messengers. They're pointing to a sign. This is the sign. This is what you want to look for. You know, we post signs to give direction. When you're looking at a sign, you're trying to figure out where to go. It's information you need to know. And what is the sign signal? This sign of a baby in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. It's something very surprising indeed. You know, those clothes, that, those claws that the baby were wrapped in, they become a foreshadow of the grave clothes that Jesus would wear. But what would be absolutely recognizable to those shepherds, when they saw a manger, they saw this is something that we eat out of. This is, this is a trough. This is a dinner plate for all of the animals, the cattle, and the sheep. This is incredibly unlikely for a baby to be in this. This is not a crib. This is something else. 
And so when the shepherds are looking at this manger, this is the sign. Jesus is now the meal. Jesus is the provision for us, the bread of life. John 6, verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the sign the angels told them to look for. Jesus will satisfy our hunger. He's lying in that manger. He becomes everything that we need. He becomes the sustenance that we need. Jesus satisfies. You know, if you're hungry for something, if you're restless in your spirit for something and you just can't quite figure out what it is, Jesus satisfies those deep hungers in us. Verse 13, suddenly... A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. It's like, all right, we got to get in on this. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, verse 13, 14, if you look in your Bible, it's structured as a poem. It's structured in verse form. It's a song right there. Probably the first Christmas carol that was ever sung there was sung by the angels on the night that Jesus was born. And the angels are so overwhelmed by this moment that they just can't help but sing praises to God. The good news is for all people. The good news brings peace to everyone who receives Jesus as Savior. Now is the time. It's not some time in the distant future. It's not some, some time thousands of years ago. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. The moment has come. Let's look at verse 2 of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Can you put these lyrics on the screen? We're going to read this together. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. That's such a powerful, powerful lyric there. That word Emmanuel, we don't use it much today. It's a Hebrew word. It's a name, in fact. It's a Hebrew name that means God with us. God demonstrates his presence with deliverance, with freedom, with salvation. In spite of the mess that we've made of things as humanity, in spite of our sin, in spite of all the times that we turned our back on God, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our greed, our frailty, in spite of it all, God came to be with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, he quoted the, the prophet Isaiah, the verse in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God incarnate says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived supernaturally without a man. What does this mean? God incarnate. John 1:14. Jesus is talking about Jesus. The word made flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God crossed the divide of eternity and became a man. Fully God, fully man, all at the same time. Something extraordinary happened. 
God breathed in and out. God got hungry and ate meals. God got tired and slept and dreamed. God got too cold, had to put some extra clothes on. He got too hot, started sweating. God needed a haircut. God got out of breath, felt his heart pounding. God got frustrated. God felt anxiety. God felt a rush of adrenaline flood through his body. God felt euphoria. God touched people with human hands. God felt the warmth of someone else's skin in a hug and the feather of a kiss on his cheek. God experienced what it is to be human, to be a person and live this life. God did that. You know, there's an old story about a father and a son. It was bedtime and this little boy so the father said, it's time to go to bed. So he took his son and tucked him into bed, read him a bedtime story, prayed with him, turned on the nightlight, kissed him on the cheek, turned out the light, walked out the door, cracked it, said, it's time to sleep, son. Went down to the hall, sat in his chair and began to read. That little boy was trying to get to sleep. He was trying so hard to get to sleep. But he got scared and he heard the noise of the wind blowing, moving the shutters. It was dark in his room, in the closet. And he shouted down from the bedroom, Dad, it's dark and I'm scared. And his father just looked up from his book, didn't move and said, son, don't be afraid. God is with you. And after a few seconds pause, that little boy shouted back, get up here, dad. I need someone with skin on. <laughs> this is what it means for God to be incarnate. He put skin on to be close to us, to feel what we feel, to protect us, to heal us, to feel our fears and our pain and everything that we experience. In Philippians chapter 2, there's another early church song in verse 6. It says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know, this word, he emptied himself, is kenosis, that Greek word kenosis. He literally emptied himself of the glory and the majesty of his godhood to confine himself in this frail human form for the purpose of serving us, to be there for us. Jesus is God incarnate. And you know what? Today... You and I, we are the incarnation of Jesus in the world. We become his flesh in the world. His spirit comes and takes residence inside of us when we say yes to Jesus. And then we become the representation of Christ to everyone around us. I wonder how well do we reveal him in our everyday? What's our reputation like? See, we're invited to come in and worship like the shepherds, but then 
we are also invited to become heralds, to become proclaimers of the good news, just like those angels sent by God, called to proclaim the gospel of peace, called to peacemaking in the name of Jesus, called to proclaim the good news is here. Jesus is here. Jesus can meet every need that you have. That's the good news that we're called to proclaim. You know, Francis of Assisi said, well over a thousand years ago, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You know, Francis wasn't saying, just be quiet and keep your faith private. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, lead with your love first. Let people know who you are by how you treat people, by how well you love people, by how you behave before you let your, wor your words say something. We are the presence of Jesus in the world. How do we represent him? You know, sometimes Christians earn a bad reputation because we don't love all that well. Sometimes we're a little harsh. We have a reputation for that. We have it backwards. Sometimes we preach the gospel at all times, and then sometimes when necessary, we use love and grace. But when we are Jesus to the world around us, we lead with love. That's the good news. Let's have a look at this third verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Can we read this together? You can put it up on the screen for me. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by, born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. Wow. Man, what a powerful gift. That is an incredibly powerful gift that the Prince of Peace offers to us. You know, it can be tempting for us sometimes at Christmas to look at what everybody else has and what we don't have and just lose our grasp on the joy because we think that, man, things should be different. Maybe things are tight financially at this season. Maybe we've lost somebody this year who should be with us. Maybe there's things that we wanted to do that we didn't get done. A relationship in our family that's estranged. And this season reminds us that they're not here. We can watch what everyone else has. You know, see all the beautiful Christmas cards with the perfect families and the beautiful Christmas decorations, everyone's holiday travel plans the parties, the luxury gifts. We can think, just why hasn't God given me that? Does he not see me? Does he not care about me? I don't know if you ever did this, but when I was a kid, we used to go to the mall at Christmas time, and there was always this big, beautiful tree that was set up. You know, it felt like it was like 150 feet tall just huge with these beautiful ornaments on it and always had underneath the most spectacularly like huge wrapped gifts under that tree. And I don't know who they were for, but I was like, man, somebody is having a great Christmas from that mall tree. But you'd go over to it, you know, I was probably like 10 years old. You'd go, go over to it and pick one of those packages up and give it a little shake. I wonder what this is. And you realize it's very light because it's just an empty box. 
That's all it is, an empty box that's wrapped spectacularly. It looks incredible, so appealing, but it's just an empty box. You know, Christmas without the nativity is just empty packages. It looks so appealing, but without Jesus in it, without Jesus, Christmas can leave you with a really big fat credit card bill in January, exhausted and feeling a little unsatisfied. That's what Christmas without Jesus can be like. You know, when Brooke, our daughter Brooke, our youngest, she was probably 10 or 12 years old at the time, it was Christmas. And probably for a couple of months, she'd been asking us for an iPod. Now, there's some of you in this room who know what an iPod is. There's other of you in this room who are too young. It has already bypassed you. And some of you that are too old to know what an iPod is. Probably if you go over to the Smithsonian Museum, they have one on display, I'm pretty sure. It's an ancient piece of technology. But it played music, and you could play games on it. So she wanted one. She wanted one with all her heart. I think it was like all the kids had one. So we decided, okay, we're gonna get her an iPod and we're gonna get her older sister an iPod, her older sister, Chloe. So a couple weeks beforehand, we bought one and wrapped it up, you know, put it under the tree. It's just there among the packages. She has no idea. She doesn't think she's getting one. So Christmas morning comes and in my family, now the way we do this is you open one present at a time. My parents were pretty much like, okay, we just spent God knows how much money on all this. We're going to savor the moment. So we've had Christmases that were like, it's five hours of Christmas, op of Christmas present opening. It's like you open the package, you know, you look at it, you ooh and ah, you say thank you, pass it around, everyone looks at it. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, put the bow on your head, and then it's the next person's time to open a present. Like John, if, if he had his way, it would be over in 30 seconds in one giant like confetti shred of Christmas wrapping and just, oh my gosh, that's it. So that part of my family has been adopted into the Morgan tradition. So this was slow, right? This is a slow Christmas pace. Whatever happens to come up next is whatever happens to come up next. Just so happened that Christmas that Chloe's iPod, her gift came up first. So she pulled hers out, opened it up, and she's like, oh, this is nice. And then all of a sudden, Brooke just absolutely comes unglued. Like, she starts bawling her eyes out. She's just heartbroken. How could her sister get the gift that she wanted? Everybody knew that she wanted an iPod. Why would Chloe get the iPod and she wouldn't get the iPod? And it was like, we had to just stop Christmas Go find her iPod. Like, we could not move on from that moment. She needed to open her iPod right then and there. Find it under the tree. Get her calmed down enough to just open her gift. You think that she wanted had been there all along. That gift that she wanted had been there for weeks. All she had to do was stop crying and open it. You know, so often, we're crying out to God asking him for something and we don't even realize that he's already given us the gift all we have to do is open it it's been here all along the greatest gift is already here i want to encourage you this christmas to unwrap the greatest gift of all it's the gift of jesus
What's shocking is that the host of heaven didn't appear at the temple. The temple was the place where for generations heaven met earth. That's where God showed up. But no, the angel showed up in a field, in a barnyard, in the dirt, in the mess, in the uncleanness where there were dirty shepherds. God came there. This is Jesus. He's gloriously divine, but also deeply connected to the lowly, to the simple, to the humble, to the insignificant, to the unclean. That's who Jesus came to. And I got to tell you, if you feel insignificant, if you feel unseen today, if you feel on the outside looking in too messed up, too broken, too hurt, the angels have a message for you. You're not too young. You're not too old. You belong in this space. You are invited in to come and see the King of Kings has come. This is for you. This is a message of great joy for you in this space. This is where you belong. You know, if you aren't important, the angels give you the most spectacular invitation to come and see, to participate in this moment. You know, you might feel like you're trying to hold back the night, exhausted, trying to protect the ones that you love, that are entrusted to your care. There's a message of hope for you today. Isaiah 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The gift of God, the gift of Jesus is for you and for me. All we have to do is unwrap the gift. It says, and the government will be on his shoulders. You know, when Jesus takes the weight of our leadership, the leadership of our life, that weight of figuring it all out, how are we going to make it work? Where do we need to go? How are we going to live this life? The weight of all of that pressure comes off our shoulders to be the salvation of ourself, and it goes on Jesus, and he carries the weight of that for us. That's what that means. The government will be on his shoulders. The burden of that will be on his shoulders. He takes that right off of us. You know, as a king, Jesus should have been born in a palace. He deserved the very best. And you know, in fact, Matthew tells us that the Magi, the priests, they went looking for Jesus at the palace of Herod. That's where he should have been born. A newborn king in a royal household. Everyone was waiting for Jesus to show up like that. Everyone was waiting for someone to stand up and deliver them from Roman oppression. So often we're looking for that. We're looking for a liberator. We're looking for a point of power. But instead, Jesus was born in a stable. See, his government is a different kind of power. Isaiah continued, and he will be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. I want to encourage you today to open the gift of Jesus because in the midst of confusion, Jesus gives us wisdom. In the midst of our fear, Jesus gives us fortitude. In the midst of our trauma, Jesus gives us resilience. In the midst of our restlessness, Jesus gives us peace. In the midst of our loss, Jesus gives us comfort. In the midst of our weakness, Jesus gives us wholeness. 
fullness. In the midst of our struggles, Jesus gives us strength. In the midst of our limited life, Jesus gives us eternal life. In the midst of our sadness, Jesus gives us gladness. In the midst of our hunger, Jesus gives us hope. In the midst of our loneliness, Jesus gives us family. In the midst of our need, Jesus gives us love. Open the gift of Jesus today. Open the gift of Jesus today. It's right there in your hands. Open the gift of Jesus today. Jesus satisfies. And you know what he gives are good things. He gives us exactly what we need. You know, my Jewish mom, she used to overdo Christmas. She didn't grow up in a Christian home, so they didn't celebrate Christmas. She got saved when she was a teenager. So I think maybe when I was a kid, she was making up for all the Christmases that she never had. So we did every single Christmas thing there was to do, all of it. Any tradition you can think of, we pretty much did it. She had this one tradition that she did where every year we would make a nativity out of Play-Doh. And she didn't just buy the Play-Doh, she made the Play-Doh. You know, dyed it like 20 different colors. There's all these colors that you could choose from and everyone would get an assigned character. You're doing Mary, you're doing Joseph, you're doing a shepherd. And then you would mold that figure out of the clay. Now you can imagine, you know, when we're little kids, we are not artists. <laughs> Some of these were pretty gnarly looking shepherds and wise men. But we'd let them dry, and she'd put them in a cardboard box, and they'd get displayed all of Christmas. You know, it wasn't fancy, and it wasn't beautiful. It's not where you would look for Jesus. It's not beautiful like the nativity we have out front today. But a lot of times, we don't see him in those places because we're not looking for him there. But God has come in the most unlikely places, in the most unlikely form, as an infant, weak, vulnerable. That's how God came. It's interesting to me, the shepherds knew where to find Jesus. When the angel said, go, find him, they knew exactly where to look, probably, because this was their stable that he was born in. This is the same place they go in and out every day, feed the animals, muck out the skulls, get them bedded up for the night, same stable, full of hay, dirt, grain, poop. Very familiar place. Common and ordinary. And yet one unexpected day, a baby was born there. A baby that brought heaven to earth. Extraordinary. You know, you, you might be out there looking for God, waiting for the entourage to come, looking for the red carpet and the velvet ropes in the spectacular. But like the angels and the shepherds, we can find Jesus with wonder and awe in the moments of ordinary and simple and humble everyday places like the shepherds we find him you'll find him in those heartfelt prayers around the table you find him in that moment of worship in your service when you just shut out the world it's just you and jesus and you have that moment you find him 
recognize him in those acts of kindness and generosity that you've taught your child and you see them walk out. Simple, ordinary moments where heaven meets earth. If we look for them, we'll find him right there. And those are the moments of joy. Those are the moments of wonder and awe where we experience Christmas with Jesus. Like the angels, we can be heralds of the good news. We preach the gospel with a big smile and a warm hug. Preach the gospel through your patience with the retail workers in lines at stores as you're shopping. Preach the gospel by loving on that struggling person that's probably kind of grouchy at work right now. Preach the gospel by including somebody lonely at your Christmas dinner table. How can we be Jesus in this season? Church, would you stand with me right now? I want to encourage you today. Let's unwrap the gift of Jesus. Can we just open our hearts? Lord God, we just thank you for your presence in this place. Father, we recognize you in this moment. We thank you that you came, that heaven met earth here with us. And Lord Jesus, we worship you as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the one that meets every need in our soul. You came for us, and we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. 